Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Live from Super Soul Farm, this is Wisdom of the Sages, a daily yoga podcast with your host, Raghunath, and co-host and senior educator at the Bhakti Center in New York City, Kastuba Das. Welcome to the show, and welcome to Sri Krishna Janmashtami. It's a big holiday throughout all of India and throughout the world, actually. It's the appearance day of Lord Krishna. So a lot of people don't know about this incredible holiday because we're unfamiliar with who Krishna is. Krishna is how they worship God in India. It's a very personal form of, of God. It's a, it's Some people call Krishna God off duty when he's just being vulnerable and sweet and charming and adorable. And we have a special guest today. The Bhakti Yoga master, I would say for Kostuba and myself, he is one of the he is the inspiration in our life to even do this show. We wouldn't be if it wasn't for Radhaswami, we wouldn't even be doing this show. We do the show as a total offering to Radhaswami because Radhaswami has touched our hearts so deeply that it's changed the entire trajectory of our movements in the course of a day. I can honestly say that. It's changed. Maharaj has radically changed the way I parent my children. I love my wife. I run my, I do my family. I do my work. If it wasn't for Radha Swami, I don't know what I, I would be a, a moth or a bug. I'm not sure, but Radha Swami, his inspirational, his book, A Journey Home has changed the face of the yoga community. It has been, it, it, it just, it, it just inspired yogis from all over the world. And his other, his second book, Journey Within, a best-selling book on the New York Times best-selling list, it was monumental in the yoga community and, and changed people's lives and is continuing to change people's lives. And I am so honored, Maharaj, that you're on our show and you take time out to be with us. And welcome to the show, Rana Swami Haribo. I am honored, grateful, and filled with joy to be with you, Raghunath and Kostuba and Sachi, and and to everybody who is assembled. It's it's so beautiful to see all of you. Kostuba, anything else you want to share about Rana Swami? Well, you know, you, you as you said, I would also be a moth or some other kind of bug right now if it wasn't for Maharaj's, you know, real, the kindness that he's shown us, the, the grace that he's shown us, uh, the wisdom that he's shown us, and, and, and it really is a primary guiding force in our lives. Uh, but beyond, you know, all that he's done for you and I personally, you know, it was it was just over 50 years ago. Was it 50 years ago, a week or two ago to the day, Maharaj, that you left on your journey? Is Kostuba freezing up, Mara? Is everybody freezing up? I think it's on your end, Drago. <sighs> okay. <laughs> if I'm freezing up, just unfreeze me. Okay. But Maharaj, about 50 years ago, uh, just like last week, as a teenager, he left to go on a journey that took him to India, to the Himalayas, to all over India, meeting all kind of fascinating characters and yogis. And um, he, uh, he wrote his amazing memoir of that called The Journey Home. Um, and he went on to become a very important, I would say one of the most important, prominent um, teachers of bhakti yoga in the world now. Uh, he also wrote an excellent New York Times bestseller 
called The Journey Within. He's begun many very important projects, including the Govardhan Eco Village and the uh, Bhaktivedanta Hospital, and of course, the Radhagopinath Temple in Mumbai. And uh, he's just, you know, in every way, he's, he's um, an agent of divine grace in this world. So we're so happy to have you here today, Maharaj. Thank you so much for coming. I can't see Raghunath. I think we lost Raghunath, did we? I'm back. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> I disappeared. Maharaj taught me many mystical powers. One is the ability to disappear, make things manifest in my hands. By your mercy, Maharaj. I have a tape. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Maharaj. Um, but we are honored to have you. And uh, it is my spiritual birthday today. 32 years ago, I got I dedicated myself to bhakti. I'm still trying to dedicate myself. But it was 32 years ago that I moved into an ashram. And it was about 49 or 50 years ago that this incredible story and Krishna consciousness is so magical and your book is so magical that, it, and it's really true. If there's one thing I can say about a spiritual path is it's magic. But that day you were on the train and I can't remember where, where you were going, but it was a third class Indian train, which is an adventure on it. It's a novel on itself. You were packed in that train. You could not move. And when you got out, to get some air, you could not get back in that train. That was what, for me, that was like one of the highlights of the book. The train took off. You tried to get in. And when you left, you were on that platform, that festive, and there was a festive train platform. And you asked, Where am I? And they said, Mathura. And today is Krishna Janma. This is where Krishna, this is when Krishna appeared. Can you t- tell us about that story? And what it was like to be there then on Krishna's appearance and getting back in that train and the third class train. I'm so excited to hear that story from your mouth, Maharaj. You you already just told the story, Raghunath. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I say cannot compare to what you just said. Because you 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 speak with so much sympathy toward me. Thank you. <laughs> Me. You know, I was on a search, looking for truth, looking for for meaning in my life, and more and more, it evolved to my looking for God. Because you know, I wanted to be um, an instrument of of change and peace within my own life and within the world. So, you know, I traveled, actually it was 50 years ago, just a couple weeks ago that I departed um, Chicago with the idea of being away for just two months. And I took a flight from New York to Iceland and then Luxembourg and there the journey really began, and I was searching for um, a treasure, a wealth in my life that was internal, because I truly believed unless there was internal um, happiness, internal wealth, internal purpose, then just accomplishing things and acquiring things externally in this world is something very superficial and hollow and 
and transit, transient. Um, so I hitchhiked from London to India, you know, studying Judaism and Christianity and Islam in the Middle East. And when I got to India, um, I went to the Himalayas and was studying under many great masters of yoga, of Sanatan Dharma, of Buddhism. And um, I was I was like a little a little teenage sponge, just accepting everything and soaking up everything and, and really trying to learn. And and the more I went through various experiences on the journey, the more I was in critical situations, which made me um, not just curious, not just um, trying to academically understand, but I was becoming more and more desperate to learn. And, and learn means to realize and experience um, because, you know, just to understand something theoretically just to put ourselves on a path externally um, has no real substance unless we follow the real spirit of the path toward the essence of the goal of the path. And through that, we actually have internal transformation and we have experience of truth and an experience of God's presence in our life and in, in the world. And I was looking for that. And and everybody I was learning for I, from, I was so grateful. Um, but I had so many teachers. And I was following so many types of meditation. I was really a meditator in those days. Um, and everything was so wonderful. And I was learning so many lessons from Mother Ganga and from the forest and from the animals in the forest and from the clouds in the sky. I was just learning and learning and learning. But at a certain point, I came to a, a realization that I need to actually follow a particular path and dedicate myself to it, to actually really go deep. Because I saw that those people who I met who were really deeply enlightened, they followed a path. They had a teacher. Um, but which one? I couldn't understand. And at a certain time... I went to Nepal and I was at, I was worshiping Lord Shiva Shankar and um I was praying at Pashupatinath one of the holiest of holy places for Shiva um please show me the way show me my path and I was on the banks of the Bagmati river and uh, I met a sadhu and he came up to me and he said that anyone who goes to Amarnath in Kashmir, which is a cave way in the Himalayas, anyone who goes at this particular time of the year during a pilgrimage, all of their deepest desires are fulfilled. And I had such a deep desire. And that desire was like a, it was like a flame. It began when I first started my journey. It was a spark, and then it grew into a little flame, and then it became a fire. And by this time, 
it was blazing and it literally burnt to ashes any other aspirations I had in my life. But I didn't know how to get there. So I decided I'm going to go to Amarnath. And in those days, hitchhiking in India was jumping on third-class trains, which were so crowded that nobody could possibly get in to take your tickets. It was just solid human bodies crushed against each other. Um, So I jumped through a window. You had to run along the track as fast as you could and jump through a window of a moving train because by the time the train stopped, it would be humanly impossible to squeeze in. Unbelievable. So I took that train and it went to Varanasi or Benares, one of the holiest, the holiest city for Shiva and for all great yogis who worship Shiva. And I went to the Vishwanath, Kashi Vishwanath temple, a ancient holy place. And there I, I was crying and praying to Shiva, please show me my way. And I, and I felt something in my heart so deep. I felt a gentle, loving confirmation as I was looking at the form of Shiva, Shiva Lingam, that yes, everything will be revealed to you. So I was sure it was going to happen in Amarnath when I got there. So then I jumped on another third-class train, and I was going, and I'm not going to go into too many details of this. Um, But what happened is it was the monsoon season, and there was a massive rainstorm, and the train got stopped in this agricultural field. And it was so flooded, the train could not move. And you couldn't go out of the train because it was, you know, several feet high of water and there were snakes all over the place, you know, squirming around. And and um, I won't even try to tell you what it was like trying to go to the bathroom in that situation because, you know, just to get to the latrine was really difficult. And when you got in, it was just a hole in the floor and the water came above that. So anyways, it was, it was quite an experience, and we didn't have any food or water or anything all that time, and we were stopped for about 20 hours. And then, so unbelievable. And then the train started moving finally, and it was so hot and so crowded, and the air was so... Um, it wasn't even like air because we were all, you know, in the humidity, we were all crowded, crunched in this little train. And finally, about five in the morning, the train stopped at a station. And I just decided I'm going to get some water. So I somehow crawled to a window and jumped out the window. I went to get some water and actually was breathing air it wasn't um, recycled by, you know, hundreds of people. <laughs> and, and then the, 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 the whistle blew for the train. It was a steam engine in those days. And it went. <laughs> so I ran along and I tried to jump in the window and I bounced off people and I jumped in another window and I bounced off more people. And then I tried to get into a door and I got pushed out and I was just on this railway track five in the morning, still dark, 
and the train was gone and I had no idea where I was. And, you know, people were coming in and coming out, but after a few minutes, the railway track was deserted except a few sadhus who were just sitting near a little fire that they, little campfire they put in. And I went up to them and I asked, where am I? And this person stood up and said, you are in Mathura, Krishna's birthplace. Today is Janmashtami, Krishna's birthday. So please come with me and I will take you to Krishna's exact birth spot, the Janmastan. So I went with them and the sadhu took me. We walked, you know, quite a ways and there was Krishna's birthplace and there was, you know, it, it was still really early in the morning, but as the day grew, I was sitting with him at first and then he kind of left me and I was alone and, you know, Gary, my friend was with me for some time, but we were I, there and there were people praying and there were people doing kirtans and there were people doing pujas and gradually as it started getting later, um, in the day, there were hundreds and thousands of people in this big courtyard. And um, it was just incredible um, to see hundreds and thousands of people gathered from all parts of India uh, to, to celebrate Krishna's birthday. Um, and I was just really happy. Um, I was, it was kind of confusing to me because I was always living in seclusion in the Himalayas or on riverbanks. I always, you know, during my whole journey, I treasured being alone in solitude. And here I was, you know, with so many thousands of people and people were dancing and three people were throwing colored powders on each other and people were smiling and people were singing. And I saw Muslims and Hindus dancing together. And I was, it was quite an amazing experience. And there were pujas and, um, and, and there were dramas several in the, in that area, there were several areas where there were stages and they were doing dramas depicting Krishna's birth. And it was really beautiful. Um, but then after midnight, where there was a big celebration at a Dwarkadish temple, or it was huge numbers of people were crowding in. It was right on the bank of the river Yamuna at a place called Vishramagat. And I, um, after everybody kind of was going away, I just went to sleep on the bank of the river. And it was... The river Yamuna was, it just charmed my heart. And the next day I started walking along the river and going to a place called Brindaban because I heard so many things about it on John Mastami from all the people who were there. They were talking so much about Brindaban. And, and so I walked there. And when I arrived in Brindaban, Actually, I was walking down a little road and a bus, a really old jalopy bus drove by and it stopped. And there was this bus driver who just had a gumpsha on, just a little cloth around his waist, nothing else. He had bare feet. He had a shaved head and a sika, some little tuft of hair in the back. 
and he had Tilak and the bus driver, and he was a real simple man, and he didn't speak English, but he smiled at me and said, ask me to come in. And I said, I don't have any money. <laughs> um, he said, no, no, Seva, Seva, you know, it's my service to you. So, so I went in and he drove me to the Brindaban bus station. And then I got out and I started, I asked the bus driver, you know, Yamuna, you know, where's the river? I just wanted to go to the river. And he pointed at a direction and I started walking. And as I was walking, the first person I met was this elderly Brijabasi, um, a resident of Brindavan. And he, he came up to me and with so much love and kindness, with tears in his eyes, he said, I welcome you to Brindavan. Because in those days, there were no foreigners. There was no people from outside of India that were living in Brindavan. There were just one or two at the most. So, you know, I was kind of a strange sight. I, I kind of looked like a foreigner, but I had long matted hair and I had this robes of a, of a Himalayan sadhu and, and um, they didn't know what, I, what to think of me. But they had, he just said, you are, Krishna has invited you. And it is my duty, my sacred duty. He spoke perfect English too. My sacred duty to take care of you. And I said, you know, I just want to be alone. He said, let me find you a place to stay and let me find you a place to eat. And I said, no, no, I know how to find these things myself. I just sleep under a tree and I, you know, I find food somewhere. And he said, no, no, how can I, how can I face my beloved Krishna if I do not serve his guest appropriately? So he just melted my heart and he took me to the ashram of this blind sage. And, um, and he, and I stayed there for about a day <laughs> just to make the Vrindavasi happy. But then I was on the bank of the river Yamuna and I was thinking how this place Vrindavan is so much transforming my heart. It feels so much like a home. I, I, um, I never experienced anything like this, just the nature of the forest, the vibration. In those days, Brindavan was so much forest and pastures, and it was so quiet, and there was practically no cars on the roads, um, practically no roads. Um, it was very, very quiet, simple forest place with some nice temples and ashrams scattered out in different places. And the river was just so pure, and it was it was the monsoon, so Yamuna was very deep and rushing quite quite rapidly, and it was just wonderful. Um, so I went to the Yamuna to to go to sleep, and I was praying. I remember the people everywhere I was going; people were just going Radhe Radhe. And the cows, they looked like they were smiling at me. And the peacocks looked like they were dancing. And I, I was, it was such a magical place. And I, I thought, maybe I'll come back here someday. Because tomorrow I'm going to catch 
to train to Amarnath in Kashmir because that's where my desires will be fulfilled. God will will respond to my prayers. Um, so I said a little prayer when I went to to sleep on the bank of the river that night, and because um, I was going to leave first thing in the morning before the sunrise for the Himalayas. And when I woke up in the morning, I couldn't move. I had high fever. I had typhoid fever. And I was, you know, just just a hair away from death, actually. And there was nobody to help me because I was in this lonely place on a riverbank. And somehow a bridge of Asi saw me laying there. I was there for, you know, till almost noon. And he picked me up and threw me in the back of an ox cart and took me to a charitable hospital. And my doctor's name was Dr. Krishna Gopal. And he told me I had severe typhoid fever and there's no way you could travel. I couldn't stand up for about a week. And by the time I got better, I just decided to never leave Brindavan for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And it was there in Brindavan that my heart really found its fulfillment and and the path of bhakti so much filled me with with gratitude because in my experience at that time and I still feel that way actually um, you know I met so many sages and rishis and, and and monks and priests and lamas and and I met and I practiced so many paths in monasteries and ashrams and caves um, and I found in the concept of Krishna, in the concept of bhakti, um, everything that was there with something so sweet. You know, I, I learned so much about the greatness of God, how God is all-pervading, how God is omnipresent, how God is all-powerful, how God is the creator and the maintainer and the destroyer of everything that exists, how God is the ultimate cause of all causes, and how, you know, to love God is the ultimate purpose of life, and to realize one's oneness with God was the ultimate purpose of life. I was learning all these different things from so many different people. Um, in Brindavan, all of that was there, but there was a um, there was an experience. The infinite nature of God's greatness is harmonized with God's infinite sweetness. His sweetness, His lovingness, His kindness, his playfulness, (laughs) his beauty. And and in Bhakti, in Vrindavan, the prominence of the meditation of, of, of the people was in the sweetness and the playfulness and the loving exchanges and the infinite beauty of God. And um, that was, it, it prevailed above 
all the greatness and power of God that I had learned about. And that, that harmony of God's greatness and sweetness together, like two rivers merging in, in one, um, it really melted my heart. And then I learned about the concept of Radha, the feminine aspect of the one supreme God. And, you know, in, in the Vedic literatures and in the Hindu faith, truly God is one. There is one God, but God has so many manifestations and incarnations, you know, to, to show his mercy to different people at different times. But the idea of Radha, the ultimate supreme lover, Radha is supreme love, and Krishna is the supreme object of love. Radha is the manifest is is the is the eternal personified kindness, forgiveness, grace, and love of the supreme. And I saw among people I met in Brindaban, you know, they were so completely immersed in this meditation, this devotion to Radha Krishna and how it transformed them into such humility and such courage and such knowledge and such, such, um, such love. I, the concept of Radha completely mesmerized my mind. And I considered it in my own life to be like the crescendo of my spiritual search. So I decided to stay in Brindavan for the rest of my life. But just as typhoid fever is what actually trapped me in Brindavan, almost a year later, um, I got bit by a dog and got rabies. And it was rabies that actually helped me to leave Vrindavan legally. <laughs> That's a long story you can read about in Journey Home. But um, I had to leave Vrindavan because of my visa. Um, and the rabies helped me do it legally by God's grace. And, you know, since then, um, that experience of being in Vrindavan um, is so much something I reflect on and it just brings me home. And actually anywhere where we're loving, we're, 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 we're expressing our will, our desire, our intention to, to love God, to love Krishna, um, then in our hearts we are in Vrindavan. And I've I've come to realize that. It's amazing, Maharaj. How this that your question? Yeah, that was that was that was great. That was beautiful. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It, it's a perfect example of how something as tragic. But if anybody got typhoid, they'd you'd almost wish yourself to be dead. But because of Krishna in your life and spirituality in your life and bhakti in your life. That typhoid was the best experience ever. It kept you there. It was the most fortunate thing for all of us. 
that typhoid was an answer to our prayers. <laughs> it was, um, I obviously needed a lot of purification. <laughs> <laughs> and was Marash. there a particular... Oh, go, go, go ahead, Robert. You can go. I was just thinking, was there a particular um, temple or deity that he was charmed to? Many temples. Um, I would go to Radharaman Temple every morning for Mangalarti, sleeping on the Yamuna. And another, I, I'd like to just share one incident that's just somehow or other it's flashing in my heart. Sure, <laughs> and it's a simple exchange that really had a philosophical uh, message for me. Um, I would go to Radharaman Temple around 4.30 every morning after taking bath in Yamuna River and doing some prayers and oblations. And then I would go to Radhaballabha Temple for Mangalarti. And then I would go to Radhadamodar Temple for Mangalarti. And then I would go to um, Seva Kunj for Mangalarti. And then I would go to Ganesham Baba's Radha Gopi Janabalava for his Mangalarti. And then after a while was Banki Bihari Mangalarti. Because he he sleeps later than all the other deities in Vrindavan for, for, <laughs> for mystical reasons. Um, but at that time, Krishna Balaram Temple didn't exist. In fact, we didn't even have the land for it yet. So there was no ISKCON in Brindaban during the time I lived there. Um, and Banki Bihari Temple was by far the most popular temple in all of Brindaban, in all of Brajbhumi. And for Mangalarti every day, hundreds and hundreds of people would come. And, you know, it has quite a large temple room, but everyone was trying to get to the front, so that they could have really close view of Banki Bihari. And for those of you who have been to Banki Bihari Temple, they open and close the curtains every few seconds just to make you so you can't see them for very long. And, um, and during that time, you know, the doors open for Mangalarti and the curtains, and then during Mangalarti and afterward for, you know, quite a while, so many people are trying to get, you know, on the higher platform close to him and cl as close as possible. And there's, and there's no, f I didn't see any fighting, but it was really enthusiastic. People are <laughs> really struggling and crawling over each other and squirming by each other. And, and, you know, they were trying not to push each other, but they were pushing each other, but it seemed everybody kind of was happy to get pushed. And everybody's trying to get close to Bunky Vihari. And I would do that too. You know, I'm just this, this kind of a strange looking person. And I'm just trying to trying to get up there to be close to Bunky Vihari. And every day I would I would get close. And I saw this one person. His name was Krishna Das Swami. He was he was much bigger than me. 
but actually almost everybody's much bigger than me. <laughs> and he had very long white hair and a very long white beard and mustache. And he wore this really simple saffron turban, you know, kind of a farmer, Brijabasi type of sadhu turban. And he wore saffron clothes. And his, he was named Krishnadaswami. And he would just stand in the same place every single day near the back of the temple room. And he would just stand there so peacefully. And even though the altar, Banke Bihari, was quite far from him, you can only see from a great distance, he would just stand there with so much love in his eyes and so much total peace on his face. Um, and he never tried to get close. He always stood in the exact same place in the back every single day. I never, not, I never didn't see him there anytime I went to that temple in the morning. And, you know, I went up to him and he was so gracious and so kind. He didn't speak English, but he was so fatherly to me. Um, and with the amount of Hindi that I understood, um, you know, he communicated to me, stand here with me. And every single day, you know, after I would squirm and go way up front, I would come back and stand there with Krishna Daswami. And after some time, I just felt Bunky Bihari's presence more there. And I realized at that time that Krishna Das Swami could hardly see Bunky Bihari, but he was there to offer himself to Bunky Bihari so that Bunky Bihari Krishna could see him. And how he was experiencing more peace and more love than anyone. Not really seeing, but by being seen. And um, from that day on, I stopped trying to get up front because it was such a beautiful darshan to be seen by Krishna. <laughs> and when I would stand next to Krishnadas, because of his intense devotion, he was... He was a member of the Nimbarka Sampradaya, one of the great Vaishnav lineages. And um, for months and months, every day we met at that place and he was, he became like a father to me. And he taught me this principle. Just offer yourself to Krishna and let Krishna enjoy you. Don't try to enjoy Krishna. And um, that, that message um, transform my whole experience of Brindavan. Uh, Maharaj, that's um, such a beautiful lesson. And you've been talking about how you traveled and you wandered in so many places and learned so much. And then when you got to Brindavan, in your book, you mentioned you felt like after wandering for a year, you had finally returned home. And, and today you've been telling us, you've been using phrases like that, the place it charmed your heart or how sweet it was, etc. And 
you know, we are like here on our show, we are often talking about that aspect of yoga that, you know, the practice as you spoke of understanding, you know, the knowledge behind the, the yoga culture, understanding the discipline that's involved, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to that person, like that, that personal aspect that you're elaborating on today, it comes to giving one's life to a person, which I think is something that's scary for a lot of us, especially us Westerners, that idea of that kind of surrender. Um, but if I, what I'm getting from you this morning is that the place, Vrindavan, is not different from Krishna and is full of sweetness and, and his pastimes and so on. There's some sort of sweetness and let's say kindness that is essential to the character of Krishna. And that I think if we understood better, we would gladly surrender our lives, surrender our minds, surrender our hearts. Could you speak about the kindness of Krishna today on his birthday? Um, Before addressing that question, can I share a thought with you please of how this particular janmashtami is is very special in its parallel with the original janmashtami of krishna's appearance over 5 millennia in the past um because Srila Prabhupada and our great teachers, they have taught us that Janmashtami actually means Krishna taking birth within our minds and in our hearts. And God actually never takes birth, but he appears to take birth, just like the analogy given is the sun. Um, you know, Surya Narayan. In the Gayatri Mantra, we approach God in, in, through his life-giving energy of the sun that he gives us. But the sun planet, it, it rises in the morning and dispels all darkness, and then it sets in the evening, and again darkness comes in. So it's not that the sun is born in the morning and it's not that it dies in the evening. It's just, it's always there, but appearing to our vision at these particular times, which are called sandhyams in Sanskrit. And similarly, um, the, the, the one supreme truth, the cause of all causes, Janmatya Shayataha, the father, the mother of all living beings, the all pervading infinitely um, knowing existence of, of, of God is forever. But the Lord appears like the rising of the sun to our vision. <laughs> and similarly, God is in our hearts. Ishwara Sarva Bhutanam Krishna tells that the supreme being, the Paramatma, is in the heart of every living being. But somehow or other, in darkness, we forget. And um, when, when we actually take shelter of the Lord within our hearts, 
when we actually uncover the veil of, of ego and ignorance, then Krishna appears to us, makes himself visible and present within our hearts. And in one sense, that's what Janmashtami is, where we're celebrating Krishna's birth. And in doing so, Krishna actually takes birth. He appears, he advents within our own hearts. Um, And in this sense, how did it happen 5,000 years ago? It's so parallel to today. Because Krishna made his appearance in this world at the time of a lockdown. Devaki and Vasudev, two great devotees, they were locked down. They were in prison. And similar to the situation where many of us are feeling restless in our lockdown, you know, they were... They were princesses and princes, but now they're in prison and they couldn't go out anywhere. They were shackled. And just as we're seeing, you know, people dying and people suffering and how it hurts our hearts, um, Vasudev and Devaki saw six of their own children killed in this lockdown in the prison house. And it was in that state that they fully, completely, totally took shelter of the Supreme Being, the Supreme Lord within their hearts. And it was in that lockdown state that Krishna actually appeared first in the mind of Vasudev. And then from the mind of Vasudev, Krishna was transferred to the heart of Devaki, And from the heart of Devaki, he entered into her womb. And then on this day, approximately 5,000 years ago, Krishna appeared to Vasudeva and Devaki. Before their eyes, they could see him. They could speak to him. They could interact with him. They could feel his love in total. And um, that was a beautiful a beautiful pastime. And, you know, now we have our coronavirus. And in those days, there was a Kamsa virus. You know, Kamsa was like, like killing, he was killing so many people. And he was, he's the one who caused the lockdown. Um, And ultimately, you know, Krishna appeared in that Kamsa virus condition, in that lockdown condition, and janma karma chame divyam evam yoveti tattvata yakpudeham punarjanma naiti mameti sorjana. Just by hearing and understanding how and why Krishna appears and the wonderful messages he gives us of how to open the doors of our hearts for him to appear to us is, is, is so very special. In, in, the, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, or it, it describes, you know, even the scenario prior to Krishna appearing in the prison house of Kamsa in Mathura, where, which is very relevant to 
today's world because Bhumi, the personification of Mother Earth, she approached her guru, Brahma, in great distress. She was crying because so many people were exploiting her resources out of greed, exploiting her resources due to inattentiveness and, and, and causing so much harm and pain and suffering to her children. Because everyone is a child of Mother Earth because we're all born in her womb with her ingredients. <laughs> and, um, you know, a mother loves all her children in all species of life. And um, her body herself is personified through all the natural resources of Mother Earth. And there was a time where Kamsa and others were, were cruelly exploiting each other humans, other people, other species. Um, there was so much of this egoism that I'm better than you and I have rights over yours. And there was, you know, discrimination, there was racism, there was, there was partial discrimination against other human beings who didn't have the same powers. And there was total exploitation of the resources of the earth, so much pollution. And it was in that state that Mother Earth was crying and she approached Brahma. And Brahma and the Devatas and Bhumi Devi all went to cry for, for the Supreme Lord who has many names, in this case, Vishnu, to appear to the world. To, um, to show another way. <laughs> and and it, was a, it was in that scenario that Krishna appeared in Mathura. And in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells, Paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chuduskritam dharma samstapanarataya sambhavami yuge yuge. That I come again and again and again. And this is where, what every religion is, where the supreme being comes according to the place and the time and speaks a particular language and teaches according to particular customs, but always with the same essential message, sanatan dharma, of of how to actually free ourselves of greed and, and lust and envy and anger and, and illusion, how to, how to love God. And in that love, how to see the entire creation as God's sacred property that is meant to be respected and honored and used with compassion and how to see every living being wherever there's life as a sacred child of God and how we are all caretakers of whatever intelligence, whatever abilities we have for the purpose of living in harmony with each other. Srila Prabhupada would often quote that all the Vedic literatures have a simple message. And this simple message is the only way to actually be happy. And that is sarve sukhano bhavantu. When we are motivated by this aspiration. 
let all beings be happy. Srila Prabhupada, on behalf of all the great Acharyas, tells this is the sum total of the purpose of the whole Vedic culture of religion. Let all beings be happy. And to the degree we're selfish and egoistic and we think we have rights and everything over others, our lives are filled with karmic consequences and complexities and there can be no happiness. But whatever we do when our innermost motivation is let all beings be happy, that's actually dharma. And bhakti is seva, to actually try to be an instrument of God's grace, of God's mercy to help others to be happy because there's happiness of the body, there's happiness of the mind, but ultimately the happiness of the, of the true self, the atma is what everybody is thirsting for. So to, to, through chanting God's names, through prayer, through seva, you know, we awaken we awaken that happiness within ourself. And then, you know, truly our motivation in whatever we do in, in our life is to help other beings to be happy. And that is bhakti, that is sanatana dharma, and that is so much of why Krishna comes to this world. Nitya siddha krishna prema sadhya kabunoi sravanadi sutichedi. He comes to this world in many incarnations, and especially in this form of Krishna, where he reveals his sweetest, most beautiful, loving pastimes. Um, maximum compassion is expressed. Um, because by hearing about them, by understanding them, by, by actually you know, living in harmony with God's teachings, then Krishna appears within our heart. Krishna awakens from within us. And then we have such a beautiful insight into life um, where we see every living being with equal vision and we really want to be an instrument to make others happy. And that's essentially what John Mastami is. And your question, Kostuba, about the person... Um, God is one. This idea of adoita or the oneness of God and the oneness of all existence in that oneness is, is, is a very prominent teaching in the bhakti teachings and in the deeper insights of the Vedas. There is what is called a chintya veda veda tattva. There is the truth of diversity within that oneness. And the Bhagavad Purana tells, Vadanti tat tat vividas tatvam yajjyanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavani tishabhyate. That there's one truth, Adoita, but that one truth forever, eternally, has three features. Brahman, the all-pervading light, the all-pervading existence of that oneness of peace that's inside and outside of everything. Paramatma, that one supreme being who is seated 
in every single living entity's heart. And when we speak about heart within our human species or the animal and bird species, you know, there's a heart and the Lord is there. But, you know, even in trees, even in plants, wherever there's life, you know, at the very essence of the being of that living force, God is there, Paramatma. And Bhagavan, who is the all-beautiful source of everything. Um, Bhagavan is the Lord whose form, whose qualities, whose personality is Satchit-ananda, eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. And what is that bliss? What is that ananda? It is prem. It's love. The, the bliss of God is God's infinite love for everyone. And the bliss of everyone, each of us, is to connect to that love, to be an instrument of that love, to find the limitless joy of that love. And that is, um, that is the realization of the personal aspect of Bhagavan, of the one supreme truth. So some approach God as the infinite oneness, some approach God as the Lord within the heart, and some as the all-beautiful, all-merciful playful Lord, and um, and they are all existing simultaneously. And in bhakti, this um, meditation upon, this service to, this chanting the names of, um, of the personal eternal form of the Lord is, is our most joyous goal. The Brahma Samhita tells Ishwara Parama Krishna Sachit Ananda Vigraha Anadira Dira Govinda Sarava Karanakaranam that the that Krishna's body, his form, his personality are Sachit Ananda, eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. And that one Supreme Lord Govinda is the cause of all causes, the source of everything, all incarnations, all avatars, all knowledge, all creations, and um, to love God is truly the first and great commandment and the ultimate goal of all religion. And when that love of God is awakened, then our nature is to love our neighbor as ourself because we see everything in relation to our love for God. And that is essentially why Krishna comes to this world to give us this simple lesson, Janmashtami. Thank you for that, Maharaj. Thank you, Maharaj. That was beautiful. You are beautiful. I'd like to ask Kostuba, you know, the meeting of teachers and students, it's like, that's a magical thing. That's a, a divinely planned thing. I'd like to ask Kostuba how you, you met Maharaj, how Maharaj entered your life and how you uh, gave your heart to Maharaj. Can you share that, Kostuba? Yeah, I, I'll try to be quick because I don't want to take up time for Maharaj speaking. But um, I think I met Maharaj for the first time around 1995 or so. 
uh, and heard him speak. And um, I remember at that time, Marge, whenever you, you would speak, it would seem like almost every single time you would, you would also you would speak about Sri Chaitanya. That was just kind of almost standard for your talks. You would, you would go into Sri Chaitanya and his life and his teachings, whatever the subject might be. And um, I remember um, being incredibly impressed with those talks and incredibly moved by those talks. But I also, and I'll make a confession now, I thought your behavior was so gentle. And, um, and I don't know, being a New Yorker, being trained in whatever way I was trained or whatever, I was almost skeptical. It's like, he's just, this is just too good to be true. <laughs> nobody's that nobody that's that kind nobody's that tolerant nobody's that gentle with everyone Maharaj um, you're too good to be true <laughs> but as I got to know him and, and as the days and years began to pass I began to see this is who he is this this is actually what it means to be a bhakti yogi this this is what it's supposed to be like and that was became very important to me um, so, you know, I, I, I think it was about 95 or 96 or something like that time that Maharaj made an appearance in my life and, uh, and, and, and was, became so important. Mm. Yourself? Now, for our students out there, they, and you could see how Kostuba just heard a class and it started to change the direction of his life. They say that just a moment's association with a great soul can change. I mean, we understand what it's like to associate with someone who's a little crazy or degraded. It affects us in a horrible way. But when you get someone, a great soul in your life, it changes us and moves us. And just this, this lecture is changed Kostuba, made Kostuba what he is today. So for everybody listening to the podcast, everybody live on Zoom, it's so important to have guests like Radhanath Swami on the the caliber of the devotee like this, we don't get in our life just to hear this. And if you have friends invite you, and if you have friends that are sort of confused about spiritual life or maybe somewhat interested, have them hear this podcast where they can hear and get the association of great souls just from hearing them speak. And it affects them in such a deep way. Maharaj, we're all incredibly honored. At the same time, I'm <laughs> 1995 also. Thank, thank you for being so kind upon me all these years. So tolerant, so patient, so kind. Thank you. I think, uh, Marash, uh, maybe for Jamasmi, you could just share with us just a story about Krishna, something to bring our minds to his um, beautiful pastimes. <laughs> Um, a, a story that always moved me. Yeah, she called you so to speak. Um, Krishna, who has many names, Gopal, Govinda, Rama. And when Krishna was, was born on the night of Janmashtami around midnight, um, he was suddenly the lockdown temporarily opened up and the, the doors opened to the prison chamber and <laughs> all the guards fell asleep. And Vasudev, under the direction of the Lord, brought this 
little tiny baby because first Krishna appeared as Vishnu, as the almighty majestic Lord within the prison. And then he said, take me, take me to the house of Nanda in Goku. And then he became a little baby. So beautiful, just like a little infant newborn. And Vasudev carefully um, brought him across the river Yamuna to Gokul Mahaban, one of the forests of Brindaban. And there he put him on the, on the, on the bed of Yashoda. And Yashoda was asleep. And when she woke up, there was little baby Krishna. She she had a baby herself, but she didn't know if it was a boy or a girl because she fell asleep by the power of yoga maya. And then there was a beautiful festival called Nandotsava where everyone was celebrating the birth of a son to Nanda and Yashoda. Um, and as Krishna was growing, he was he would perform activities that were supernatural, like the liberation of Putana or Trinavarta or showing the entire universe within the mouth of his mother, <laughs> within his mouth to his mother. And, and these are things that were just incredible, unbelievable, beyond supernatural. But at the same time, his playfulness and his sweetness and his love for those devotees was so deep that even though they saw him doing those things, um, it just kind of, his greatness, his almightiness receded into the backgrounds so that they could just love him as a friend and love him as a child and love him as a lover. And that is Brindavan. So one day, um, Krishna, when he was just a child, perhaps three or four, he was just roaming around and a fruit vendor, um, a lady who had no education, who was, you know, from a social perspective, she had no status whatsoever. She just lived in the jungles and, <clears throat> you know, quite poor. But she came, she would just collect fruits in the forest and she'd go to villages and try to get people to buy it. So she came to um, go cool and she cried out, I have fruits. Does anyone want to buy my fruits? And little Gopal saw something special in her heart. So he wanted to buy some of the fruits. But in those days, there wasn't money. It, people would exchange one thing for another thing. So he used to see his mother exchange food grains, like wheat grains, for other, because they grew it, for other um, needs. So he went and went into the pot where his mother had her grains, and he took a little handful, and he went running out. And as he was running, because he was so small, and his hand was so small, the, the grains were coming, you know, falling onto the ground, and he didn't even notice. And he got to the fruit vendor, and he said, give me fruit, and put out his hand. And there was only like, you know, maybe one or two little grains there, seeds. 
And the fruit vendor looked at it, and then she looked up at this little boy, or she looked down at him. She was standing, and she saw his smile. He was smiling with so much radiant compassion and love, and his beauty totally captured her heart. And in this sense, we should understand when we talk about God's beauty, God's beauty and God's love are non-different. God's beauty is just a, a, an expression of his love. God makes himself supremely beautiful out of his love for us to give us pleasure, to attract our hearts, to fill us with love. So little Krishna, he was. she didn't know who he was. She just thought he was a little village boy, but his beauty just awakened so much love in her heart. And to love means to serve. When you love someone, you want to make them happy. (laughs) So she took from her basket fruit after fruit after fruit and filled Krishna's hands. And then little, little child Gopal put his arms out and she put more and more fruits until she completely piled up in his arms and he was just covered with fruits. And he smiled at her and ran home. Now, when she turned around, she went to pick up her basket Her basket was filled with the most precious jewels. There were diamonds and rubies and emeralds and lapis lazulis and pearls of of, of celestial quality. And it was overbrimming from her basket. But she didn't even really notice it. Her heart was filled that giving this little boy, these fruits, has made him so happy. I want to get more fruits from him. I want to give him more happiness. Um, There's the beautiful analogy that if you put water on the root of a tree, then that water gives the best nourishment to every part of the tree, the trunk and the branches and the twigs and the leaves and the flowers. So similarly, the Krishna is aham sarvasya prabhupada, Bhagavan, the, the root of all of existence. And when we make Krishna happy, that is actually the ultimate happiness for our body, mind, and soul. So she, was, she made Krishna happy, and Krishna smiled at her, and she was so filled with this ambrosial, ecstatic love. She just wanted to make him more happy. So she ran back to the forest and she wanted to, she, she searched and searched and searched to get more fruits and she collected more and more fruits. She was really working hard and she went to put him in the basket. And when she went to put him in the basket, there was no space in the basket because there were these diamonds and rubies and jewels So she didn't care any, anything for that. She just <clears throat> dumped all the jewels out, just threw them in the forest. And it's not like she, um, 
she made like markings how to find her way back there. (laughs) (laughs) She was just too enthusiastic to want to make Krishna smile again. So she threw all the jewels down on the ground and she filled the basket with fruits and she ran back. And there she called for Krishna again, Gopal, Gopal, please, I have more fruits for you. And Gopal came running back and she filled his arms again and he smiled and she attained the ultimate perfection of life. What Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu called Prema Pumartha Mahan, Prema Dhan, the greatest Prema Nidhi, the greatest treasure, the greatest charity, the greatest goal of life is Prem, unconditional, ecstatic love for God and compassion for all beings. And that is what she was tasting. And she was forever liberated. She attained the highest perfection of spiritual liberation in her love. And she went back to the forest and, and Krishna went back. And for him, each of those fruits was so precious because they were offered to him with love, with humility, with sincerity, and with affection. Krishna considered those fruits more valuable than anything in creation, and he wanted to share those fruits with others, especially his loved ones. He said to his, his, he, he said to his mother, I want to give these fruits out to all the Brijabhasis, to all our family and all our friends and everybody in the village. And she said, where did you get those fruits? So many fruits. And he said, "Um, it wasn't that many. It was just a little pile, enough for him to carry with two armfuls. And he said, "Um, this lady from the jungle came and gave them to me. And Yashodam, I said to Krishna, because she's worried. She's a mother. She said, Krishna, you have to be careful with strangers. And Krishna smiled at her and said, I don't know what is a stranger. (laughs) 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 And then Yashoda and Krishna went into a little place in in the village and called everyone to get fruits. And there was maybe 20 or 30 fruits maybe 10 fruits, whatever it was. And and Yashoda, Krishna was handing them to Yashoda and Yashoda was giving them out. And she was giving out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds to everyone as much as everyone wanted. And she was wondering, where are all these fruits coming from? And Krishna kind of kept making them multiply. Um, and, and what was he really doing? It was the fruit of the love of his devotee. And he tasted such sweetness in the fruit of the love of his devotee. He wanted to share the love of his devotee with everyone. And that's, and that's the story. And um, Lord Chaitanya, who was Krishna himself, who appeared 500 years ago, according to the great scriptures of India, um, he was Krishna with the sentiment, the mood of Radha, who came to give love freely. And he gave a simple analogy, which is so connected to this beautiful little story I told. He said, I am like a fruit seller. And I have all these fruits of love of God. And I want to distribute these fruits 
to everyone and to anyone without considering whether they are qualified or unqualified, without considering whether they are fit or unfit, without considering auspicious time or inauspicious time or in or auspicious place or inauspicious place. None of these things matter. I just want to give these fruits of love, of prema, to everyone who will simply accept it. And he said, please, anyone who, who loves me, help me to distribute these fruits. And that was Lord Chaitanya's message. And tomorrow is Srila Prabhupada's Vyas Puja, his appearance day. And Srila Prabhupada, he lived in Vrindavan. And he was tasting the fruits of the ecstatic fruits of Krishna's love and sharing his love for Krishna. And um, on Lord Chaitanya's mercy and his guru Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada's mercy Srila Prabhupada left Vrindavan he only had approximately what's equal to seven dollars um, he got a free passage on a cargo ship across two oceans and several continents he came to America New York City specifically you know, just in the robes of a simple Swami with just an umbrella and a little bag <laughs> with a change of clothes and, he, and, a, and a book. And there was nothing else he had. But in his heart, he had a limitless supply of these fruits of love of God. And he came all this way to, to share them with whoever would accept them. And that's tomorrow. Um, when we, when we can honor not only Krishna who distributed the fruits of, of Prem, but his devotee who helps him to distribute the fruits of divine love. Thank you so much, Marsh. I forgot your question, but I hope I answered it. It's a good <laughs> answer to tell a story, and you did, and you went beyond. <laughs> so thank you. Any last things you would like to ask, Raghunath? Oh, Maharaj. What is the best way for all of us today at home in quarantine to uh, remember Krishna? What's the best, what's the best way we could do? How, how to keep Krishna at the forefront of our mind when there's so much crazy things happening in the world People have little hope. People sometimes are in fear. Um, I know I, I can't make a plan. I can't even make a plan because you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I'm, I'm riddled with anxiety. I tend to be possessed by my motive, passion, and ignorance. What what can I do? I'm going to keep it personal. What can I do to keep Krishna at the forefront of my mind? I'm like a train wreck. I'm like that train, stalled out train that you are. I'm like a train wreck. Can you help me? How can I keep Krishna at the forefront of my mind with all these burdens and people are suffering financial burdens and mental anguish? Can you help me, Maharaj? I'm like a sick man. Please give me some herb of wisdom. You are like the train in the sense you are bringing us all to Brindavan. <laughs> you are the soul train Maharaj you are saving our soul Every, everyone who is on this wonderful zoom call 
Um, we are all passengers on the on, on the train of your compassionate enthusiasm. <laughs> there's there's a beautiful verse. Nam nam akari bahuta nija sarva shakti statrapitani amitasmarinakala. That God is especially present within his names. Kali Kale Namarupe Krishna Avatar. That the Supreme One God has many names. And in this age of Kali, this particular time that we're in, where there's so much uncertainty and everything you're talking about, um, you know, the idea of Kali is there's epidemics and there's pandemics and there's plagues and there's earthquakes and there's and there's wars and there's racism and anti-Semitism and hatred and and exploitation and greed and um you know, so many problems, so many problems, so many sufferings, and so many uncertainties that create so much fear and instability. And padam padam yadvi padam tetesham, no matter how nice we try to make things, we don't know what the next minute could be. Everything is so vulnerable. You know, I, I've seen... You know, we see people who geniuses and billionaires and they get a disease and there's nothing they can do except suffer and die. And there's people who, who, who conquer the world, but then, you know, their, their life and soul, their children, you know, something happens. And there's just so many uncertainties. Economically, we can invest so much money and build so much. But one thing we know for certain is that everything's changing and we're very vulnerable. And especially in this age of Kali, there's so much conflict, so much fighting, fighting in the name of nations, fighting in, in the name of political parties within nations, fighting between religions, fighting between different ideologies within the same religion, fighting between races, fighting between species. <laughs> um, it's the world in Kali. But Kali Kale Nam Rupe Krishna Avatar, that in this age of Kali, that one supreme being in all sweetness and beauty and greatness has, has incarnated, has advented in the divine sound of the name. And kirtan, bhajan, japa is a way of actually um, connecting, being in the presence of God who has incarnated in this divine sound vibration. So Lord Chaitanya taught that all the power and the beauty and the sweetness and the greatness of God the Lord's abode, the Lord's eternal associates, everything is in the presence of, of God's name. Amani Namane Dena Kirtaniya Sadahari. 
according to our humility, according to the character of our compassion to others, according to the sincerity of our heart and our intent, when we truly apply ourselves to bathe in the nectar of God's coming to this world in the form of holy names, we become purified, we become cleansed. And gradually, like taking the dust off a mirror, when we actually um, clear our minds and our hearts, then we see Krishna. We see our own eternal spiritual identity in relationship. And that, therefore, Lord Chaitanya said, um, Shri Krishna said, Param Vijayate Shri Krishna Sankirtanam, that this chanting of God's name is the greatest expression of God's love, compassion to bless us in this world. So wherever we are, you know, if we can take shelter of God's name, take shelter of hearing the message of God's teachings and pastimes, take mess, take shelter of like-minded people who want to inspire one another with this faith and with this great wealth of God's grace. Um, seeking shelter is important. Um, in, in every situation of life, um, we become fearless when we find shelter. We become happy when we find shelter. And the greatest shelter is love. And this is what Krishna comes to give us. And it's accessible and available to all of us in whatever situation. You know, recently, um, Shamali, this one wonderful devotee, you know, she, she left this world in a fearless state, surrounded by people who were who, who out of love were helping her to remember Krishna. And Bhakti Tirta Swami Maharaj, even in, at the time when he was about to leave this body, he was smiling, saying, it doesn't get any better than this. Um, so in whatever situation we may be in, um, you know, it may be difficult, but sometimes difficult situations help us to really sincerely focus on seeking shelter and to share that shelter among one another through chanting, through hearing, through praying, through offering puja, through offering whatever seva we can, um, through coming together. And with this internet, um, even the obstacle of being locked down in a place, we can be together with people who inspire us and people we can serve around the whole world. And I'm seeing so many of you at this very moment, and my heart is thrilled, and I'm, I'm speechless while I'm speaking, just to be with all of you. It's, it's just beautiful. And, and Raghunath, you know, you are such a blessing. You get to be with Sachi and Bridget and Tarun and all your family members. Um, it's, it's wonderful. You get to be home. Um, and myself, you know, I, I'm cooking kitchery for myself every day and I get to wash my own clothes and clean, clean the room I stay in and wash my own pots. And, and usually nobody lets me do these things, but now I'm feeling liberated. I get to do it. (laughs) So somehow or other in every situation, we look for the opportunity 
to be happy with Krishna and we'll find it. Seek and ye shall find, the Bible says. And Krishna tells Saragrahi, if we're seeking the happiness of being with Krishna, Krishna's with us always. God is with us. And and this type of humility that you expressed, Raghunath, in your um, in your question to me, you you use so many adverbs and adjectives to describe yourself, um, and we can see that as you were saying it, you really meant it, but it was actually giving you happiness to say it because um, <laughs> because it's that humility. That um, that humility and that sense of being helpless in need of, of God's grace that actually um, is the perfection of yoga because it's when we make the deepest connection with, with, with the Lord's love. And Janmashtami is a beautiful, wonderful day um, where we remind each other and we meditate on this beautiful gift that we have all received. Radna Swami Maharaj, you are spiritually contagious. We've all cut, we've all caught the love bug from you. I feel spiritually connected now. I was in the dumps. I was down in the dumps. And now you have made my life so bright. You are like a lighthouse, and I'm a. We're boats just bumbling around in the dark, bumping into things. Thank you for joining us. We are all incredibly grateful. I am so grateful for the wisdom of the sages, Raghunath and Kostuba, what you are doing. You're so genuine and so you know, deeply caring. Um, giving so much of your time and your energy and your lives every day here to share what you love the most with the whole world. And I'm so, I'm so grateful to both of you. I'm so proud of both of you and your families. And all I can do is on behalf of all of creation, I thank you very much. Thank you, Maharaj.